What's up, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of the Professional Athlete Podcast. We have an awesome show today, and the primary topics are going to be longevity, fasting, and why it's so critical when looking at your health to take an integrative approach. And joining us today for that discussion is Dr. Shadi Vadat. She is the chief medical officer of the Create Cures Foundation. And if you listen to the previous episode, I believe it's number 37. I really should look that up before I start doing these intros. Sonia and I talked through her experience, her first experience doing a fast mimicking diet. So by way of that episode, I was introduced to Dr. Verdot and her team, and man, really great conversation. Uh, like I said, we talk about longevity, what's actually happening in the body that causes aging, how we can prevent it, the role fasting actually plays in preventing aging and age-related diseases, as well as a lot of chronic diseases that, quite frankly, the broader American population suffers with, and, and just a really interesting opinion on why it's so critical that you as an individual try and take a holistic approach to your health and why it's it's not sufficient solely to rely on specific experts. It's really incumbent upon ourselves to ask questions as to, you know, how is my nutrition playing into the condition that I have? Or is there anything else that I can do beyond just taking a medication that could positively impact what I'm suffering from? I thought it was fascinating. As I said, eye-opening for sure. I know you're going to enjoy it. On that note, if you are enjoying the show, please do leave us a rating and a review, and certainly don't forget to subscribe, whatever platform you're listening in. And to all those who have written in, uh, either with feedback or recommendations, please do keep that coming. I love hearing from the listeners. And if you have any ideas, topics you'd love us to cover, I mean, man, this show is for you. I'm having an absolute blast doing it, but ultimately, I'm hoping this helps everyone live a happier, healthier, more productive life. So please keep the, the feedback coming. Uh, let's see. Make sure to stick around for the end of this episode where, as always, I run it by my wife, Sonia Gunter. Now, listen, as we've talked about in previous episodes, she's actually done a fast mimicking diet twice. I've only watched it happen, so she can speak from a place of experience. But I can say with certainty, after talking to Dr. Vidat today, I'm 100% going to try one of these fasts at some point in the relatively near future. So, Okay. Without further ado, folks, let me get out of the way and welcome Dr. Vidat to the show. Here we go. I gotta get up. I got too much to do. Yeah, I gotta get going. I gotta talk to you. It's time to start the show. Dr. Vidat, welcome to the show. Hi, nice to be with you, Ken. Yeah, thank you. I know uh, you have a lot on your plate, so I appreciate you making time for, for little old us. Oh, I'm excited. <laughs> I know. we. Uh, I mean, the listeners aren't going to know it, but we were catching up beforehand, and uh, we have a lot of really interesting topics, and I'm just trying to figure out where where is even the best place to start, but, you know, the way I kind of found out about you and your team that you work with um, was all around trying to better understand longevity, right? How, how can we live a longer and hopefully healthier, more optimized life 
Um, and when we were kind of swapping notes before the show, you said, hey, one, one of the best places to probably start would to be talking about diet. Um, you know, so, so in terms of thinking about longevity, uh, maybe a good question even is like, what role does diet play within that process? Definitely. And, uh, you know, as I'm one of the physicians at Create Cures Foundation, which was founded by Professor Walter Longo, who has done uh, many years of, of study on exactly this topic, longevity, and yeah. uh, essentially how to not only just prolong, uh, extend life, but also have those be healthy uh, years. So health span is very important. So, mm-hmm. um I think probably 30 years ago, he started looking at this and looking at caloric restriction and fasting on, you know, yeast and, you know, other animals. Uh, and, and that kind of developed over time as it relates to humans. So a lot of based on a lot of his uh, basic lab research, um, there there's some critical areas that are important for longevity. And, you know, when it comes to carbohydrates how we process them, how that impacts blood sugar and insulin pathways and the genes that are turned on, um, that, that, that's very relevant uh, in terms of uh, turning on or off uh, aging genes. <laughs> so how you eat uh, in terms of the carbohydrate family is important, but also the discovery that uh, optimal protein, not too little, not too much, are also critical for the pathways that are uh, affect genes and proteins that may may be more helpful for longevity. So hmm. um, when we're looking at a longevity diet, um, when, when diets with high protein were compared to higher carb and lower protein, it, it looks like there's a disadvantage for, for a high protein load. Long term, the pathways that are stimulated Mostly, uh, and I and I'm going to try not to get too technical, but uh, but I know you're probably familiar with it because you, I think you I read just, the book. I just read the book, and actually, I'll give that book a quick plug: the Longevity Diet uh, that Doctor Longer wrote. And I, I can't remember how long ago he wrote that. Um, but to your point, I felt it could get very technical. Uh, <laughs> but that book does a really nice job of making it approachable for someone like myself, <laughs> who's not a nutritionist uh, or a, or a scientist. So. Uh, no, yeah, it, uh, familiar, but this this actually really helps. And I, I was very interested uh, specifically around the conversation of, of protein as well. And you said that there is like an optimal amount of protein for longevity. Is that correct? Yeah, I think I think with everything else, I mean, uh, I mean, there's sort of general rules when you when you talk about a diet, it, it has to be generic and applicable sort of, uh, you know, to, to the general population. But ultimately what it comes down to is what are you metabolically, you know, well, how, what are the things relevant to you? Meaning that whatever diet we're talking about, it, it takes using that. We know certain principle from, you know, the, the research that he has done, but ultimately we combine that with biomarkers and things that may be unique to you. So what I mean is that, okay, yes, a longevity diet based on what's been studied, it, it you know, when you have too much protein, it stimulates the insulin growth factor one pathways, which are, which are, you know, not conducive to longevity, those turn Mm. on unhealthy pathways that can increase uh, risk of diabetes and cancer. And so, you know, again, I know you told me, don't worry about the population that's going to listen <laughs> to your show, but I can't help. Yeah, but, I, I mean, it's, it's not even athletes. It's not even athletes. But, you know, right. I mean, there's a lot of buzz about 
uh, paleo diets or, or ketogenic diets. And some of those right. end up being very high protein and exclude uh, complex carbohydrates or grains. And I think that uh, while I think most people know that we need to watch blood sugar and carbohydrates, I think it kind of in recent years has gone to the other extreme where people think having a ton of protein and animal protein mm. is okay. And that's not our findings uh, based on uh, Professor Longo's work. So uh, as you probably remember, um, we look for a certain macro percentage. So for carbohydrates, should make about 50 to 55% um, okay. of, your, of your diet. Fats, and again, what kind of fats is important? So we want to avoid um, saturated fats and animal fats, but somewhere around 30 to 35%. And really, protein should not be more than, based on your age, maybe 10 12%, maybe 15%. Now, mm -hmm. when you're below 65 um, the research shows that you may want to target, and I know I think in the book it says, you know, based on pounds, so 0 0.31 to 0 0.36 gram per pound, okay. or it comes out to about 0.8 grams per kilogram. So that's not, you know, I, I think probably in, in things that you're looking at, again, in athletes that I've heard, you know, 1.2 to 1.4, much higher. Oh, yeah, certainly. Yeah, so, so it's a big difference. And again, sort of the, the source of the protein is also important. Um, animal protein and, and uh, high saturated fats, uh, those, those do not, I mean, those lead to greater inflammation and again, sort of stimulate pathways that we don't, we don't desire. So we, we suggest more of a pescatarian diet, again, if you're under 65. Yeah. And having healthy fish two or three times a week and then having the bulk of that being, you know, different kinds of vegetables, um, complex carbohydrates, whole grains, um, you know, legumes. And, and that's, you know, getting the protein from from there. So mm -hmm. but again, I mean, all of this is is all fine and dandy, but you really need to see if someone, for example, has a lot of visceral fat or, you know, or has strong genetics for diabetes or heart disease, hmm. you're, you're going to have to sort of, and, and looking at their numbers and biomarkers, you're going to have to kind of uh, adjust things appropriately, meaning that maybe you'll need to make modifications um, based on what is unique to them. So I have, I have, I have a bunch of questions, two, two questions that immediately come to mind, and this might just be uh, my own ignorance. When you say, um, creates or reinforces or strengthens pathways. What, what, what do we mean by pathway? So the, the protein pathways that lead to chemical pathways that lead to okay. certain genes becoming turned on or turned off. That's what I mean. Ah. So, so going down the pathway that, you know, uh, accelerates aging. So high amounts of protein, high amounts of glucose or blood sugar, will, and it's a complex system, but will activate uh, chemical pathways and genetics that are, that accelerate that aging process. And, and so by limiting them, then you kind of uh, look for a more favorable, um, you know, balance. And again, it's all about, you know, we don't want to be for example, you know, some vegan diets, when I, when I see patients who are vegan, they're not getting sufficient protein. And so it's all about balance and making sure that, 
you know, you're getting sufficient. And again, if you're over 65, we do liberalize and say you should, you are going to actually do better if you have more protein. Hmm. So we do introduce uh, other things like um, uh, eggs or white meat or so, so we allow them because it looks from the studies that when we're older, we need that for muscle strength and for our bones. So so, yeah. so th- those tight numbers that I told you, we, we increase right. from that in the older population. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. And then, you know, the, the other thing, and I mean, I feel like this is almost like anything, right? So much comes down to the individual. Uh, and I feel like I often hear the term biomarker thrown around and I'm like, oh yeah, I think I know what that is. I don't know what that is. I don't know what you get back. Could could you talk a little bit about, you know, when we say referencing your biomarkers, right? Like, what is that? And then I think what, what might be really helpful for a lot of folks listening is like, how do we use that information? Or how does like a practitioner help use that information to make recommendations? Um, well, so, so some of what I do is a little bit different than, you know, sort of uh, your, your GP or primary care provider, because for the, um, you know, I was trained conventionally, but as mm. you may or may not know, most of us going through medical school, I don't remember that I got any nutritional training whatsoever, like zero. Wow. <laughs> but um, that's and- so interesting. And I think the average across different med schools is maybe four hours, uh, you know, in the entire program. So basically, basically, we don't learn anything. Yeah, that's incredible. Okay. I mean, if we might ask it in the history taking process, oh, okay, you go to McDonald's, that's nice. But like, we, you know, (laughs) Um, but it's not really a lifestyle interventions uh, are not a part of conventional training. So Hmm. what, what I've done and what I'm going to talk when you ask about biomarkers are things that, you know, after going through a lot of training in the last 10 years uh, for integrative medicine, studying nutrition, this is all sort of extra stuff. So when I look at labs and when I'm evaluating patients, I'm trying to pick things up and detect things when they're at subclinical levels. So meaning a lot of times what I see is that, you know, uh, Actually, probably a majority of my patients will come and say, oh, yeah, I saw my doctor. They said, your labs are fine. Nothing's wrong. But yet they rattle off like 20 symptoms. You know, I can't sleep. I'm tired. My brain doesn't work. <laughs> you know, my gut is not right. I react to food. And, and yeah. all, all of the labs are fine. And I hear that probably 80% of the time, because what that means is that your annual blood test is just a little snapshot. Usually it includes a blood count, you know, kidneys and liver, some, you know, cholesterol panel. um, Hmm. I don't know, vitamin D maybe. And it's a very limited profile. So when I'm looking at, you know, risk factors for chronic disease, and when we're talking about blood sugar, for example, being an important pathway that you want to keep an eye on, uh, I, I really want optimal. So if you look at any mm. lab marker, you'll see that the normal lab value for glucose is like 70 to 99. And if okay. you're 98, it'll your doctor will say, oh, everything's good. Even if you're 105, which is pre-diabetes, 
you yeah. know, nobody will tag that. So you may be coming for years with these borderline blood sugars and nobody having any problem with it. And then one year, all of a sudden, oh, you're a diabetic. We need to start medication. Right. I, I don't think uh, things are caught early enough. So one of the things mm. I do is I talk to patients in great detail about, you know, I, we go over the labs and I talk about what numbers you should be looking for. So you never want to be at the tail end of any any range. So, you know, the vitamin D is 30 to 100. Like what is optimal? Somewhere probably middle of that range. Sure, and yeah. so glucose really should be somewhere around 80 fasting. And if you're a cancer patient or if you have other, you know, serious conditions, you know, we really want to kind of keep you in that tight range um, because we don't want to wait till you're 98 and, you know, uh, and then next year say you're pre-diabetes and you're, you're still fine, but we're going to wait till you're diabetic before we start medications. That is the time, you know, picking things early, uh, picking things up early, detecting it and then reversing it and really implementing changing your diet exercising more sleeping better like it's you know you sh it should be caught earlier and i don't think that that like the general internist is is kind of looking at those small deviations hmm. well here, here's a question for you too you know can, can you actually help define what uh integrated medicine is <laughs> Or, you know, for, and, and within, within the confines of what you do, I'm not asking you to give me, you know, but like, uh, I think a lot of people might be a little um, alarmed to hear that, like, you know, most people who go through med school, like nutrition was not a big component of it, uh, just because I think people genuinely now are a little more aware that like, hey, what we eat uh, really impacts, you know, who we are, what we do, how we recover, how we grow, how, how long we live, how healthy we are, right? Um so, you know, Ken, Ken maybe in your circles. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. I'm no, uh, Come on. no, I mean, you, you probably, uh, not everyone know. runs a health podcast is what you're telling me. Well, all, all I will, uh, all I will tell you is, uh, I was, my jaw almost dropped, uh, last week when a mm. colleague of mine who I won't share this video with <laughs> okay, was telling some nurses that, he just recently stopped having Cokes, you know, and, and oh, that wow. helped him lose weight. And, um, you know, time and time again, I mean, uh, I, you know, I, I see people who are seen at the best academic, um, you know, hospitals. Yeah. Uh, I just last week had a patient who was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis and she had asked the doctor, so, so should I change how I'm eating? And, and they got back. It doesn't make a difference. I've had uh, taken family members to oncologists, you know, with a with a serious cancer diagnosis. Does it matter what I eat? No, doesn't. It's not going to make any difference. You're fine. We're giving you chemo. And if you look at, you know, if you were getting cancer care, uh, the kind of snacks that would be available to you might be, you know, uh, you know, cookies and donuts yeah. and and apple juice, which is exactly <laughs> the opposite of what you should be doing if you read that section in the longevity <laughs> diet book. Um, well, and, and, and on that note, I, I've talked about this, I think a little bit in earlier episodes, but my, my father passed away in 2018, ultimately from lung cancer. Uh, th and then there was a whole host of other issues that had all kind of like compounded over the years, right? Diabetes uh, being one, um, you know, I, I mean, you name it, high cholesterol, all, all of those things. Um, and I was so kind of dumbfounded that they were not, 
prying more into like what he was doing on a day-to-day basis, like diet wise. Like I would come home because we lived on the other side of the country and I'm like, dad, what are you doing? Like you can't eat this way. How do you expect anything to change? Um, And at that time, now look, a lot of these documentaries have their own agenda, but there were a few documentaries that came out and touted some of the benefits of potentially, um, you know, modifying your diet. And I think the recommended diet reflects a lot of the things that I read in the longevity diet. And so I actually, you know, kind of tried to ask my dad to implement some of those things in hopes that he might be able to either slow it down, have a better quality of life while he was around. Um, But yeah, I mean, I've seen that hands on. Now, look, my dad's also was a a tough character. Like if you you didn't want to change, he wasn't going to change. But I was surprised to hear that, like, there was no recommendation around that aspect of his life. Well, and I think the difficult thing, because, uh, and I'll get back to answering your question about integrative medicine, but um, as an integrative practitioner, I don't function as someone's primary. So everyone is seeing their own doctors, but they're seeing me for, for that nutrition advice, for looking at the labs a little bit deeper, for looking at gut microbiome. So kind of really going below the radar and Ah. to, and, and for, essentially figuring out why do I feel so crummy when all my labs are fine? (laughs) So, so I'm kind of playing detective and integrated. I mean, I'm jumping around a little bit, so I apologize. No, it's perfect. Cause I I think most people to, to your point, like I'm super interested in health and fitness and a lot of this I'm unaware of, you know, so I have to imagine so many people are listening like, yeah, I I really don't know, (laughs) you know, what that means. Yeah, I, I think that you just, uh, unfortunately, the layperson doesn't know the limitations of the physician or what the training of the practitioner sitting across from them is. And mm. and I see all, I mean, majority of my patients have primary care doctors, so they're getting their annual tests and they're getting, you know, their checkups and their vaccinations and colonoscopies, but um you know, you just have to kind of understand like what, what is within their training. And you probably didn't know that we get no nutrition training or teaching mm. at all. And I don't yeah. know that things have changed that much more recently. I mean, I went 20 years ago, but um, so if, if your doctor now integrative is usually integrating conventional therapies with something else with complementary medicine or alternative medicine. And what that hmm. means is could be just anything. I mean, it could be okay. your, your regular internist who kind of believes a multivitamin is good and maybe has an acupuncturist in his office that, that they might call themselves integrative, but okay. it's integrating different, different principles. Generally integrative doctors or more holistic practitioners will really care about lifestyle factors. And I don't mean to say that, that, you know, regular internists don't, but they need, they would need to have additional training. So when you're looking to pick a regular doctor, you should see what, what was their training? Did they have Mm. training in lifestyle medicine? Have they had additional training in nutrition? Are they looking at lifestyle factors or no, they just, you know, went through, if they just went through a purely, you know, regular internal medicine training, it won't include that unless they have a personal interest. And, uh, and so you wouldn't know unless you looked. Now, um, if anyone has extra training in that, they're a little bit more tuned in to treat you as a whole person. What, what I mean about that is, um, and I have sort of additional training in what's called functional medicine, which is getting to the root cause of illness. Um, okay. So we're, we're kind of, again, I'm sort of trained to kind of connect 
all the different body systems. When you go to a regular doctor, it's almost like your heart is separate from your gut, is separate from your brain. So if you have something wrong with your brain, you go to the neurologist. If you have something, if you have palpitations, you go to the cardiologist. If, if you have a, you know, uh, diarrhea, you go to the gastroenterologist and you would not yeah. talk to the neurologist about your, um, your, about your gut problems. But in fact, as, as you probably know, there's a great connection, uh, you know, brain gut connection and the, the pathways are bi-directional. So you hmm. can have a concussion or brain injury, and that could impact your gut health, or you could have a primary gastrointestinal problem and ultimately might lead to brain, um, uh, issues down the road. So, uh, but, but if you went to a regular doctor, your neurologist would probably not have much of an interest if you started talking about diarrhea and they'd say, you know what, take that up with the gastroenterologist. So an integrative practitioner, um, again, depending on their training generally kind of sees you as, as all of your parts (laughs) connected and your mental and emotional state and looks at hopefully genetics and what your risk at. So you know, again, if you came to see me, I'd really care. You might say I'm totally healthy now. All my labs look beautiful. But we'd say, well, dad had diabetes and lung cancer and, you know, whatever genetics, you know, from mom's side. And right. you you really need to, you know, be careful. So you're at higher risk. They say genetics yeah. loads the gun and the environment pulls the trigger. So oh, man. I love that. <laughs> so you got you got some genes, but you know how you eat, how you handle stress, uh, how you sleep is, and whatever toxins or things that you're exposed to is going to dictate whether a particular gene is turned on or off um, in terms of your risk factors. Hmm. Yeah, that's so. Well, so let me ask you this too, because I've got again a bunch of questions. But so for you. Um, with, with your practice, right. I guess what, what sort of approaches are you, are you integrating with your, I'm going to call it like a traditional, uh, medical background? Uh, so, you know, I, I always say that I still, uh, think like a, you know, the way that I came out of medical school and the way that you're trained is really to be good at, um, danger signs, shall we say. So, you know, you're really good at, uh, um, if someone has a headache that wakes them up at night, you better scan their head because it could be a brain tumor. If someone says, I have chest pain, you know, you better rule out or evaluate for the worst thing it could be, which is, mm. you know, a heart attack. And so you kind of have your differential of what it could be. If you came into the emergency room and said, I have chest pain, you know, the worst thing that you could have is something going on with your heart. And so we prioritize, you know, and make sure you didn't have a heart attack, get an EKG, get blood tests to make sure you didn't have a heart attack. And, and Mm. then when you, when all those tests are negative, it's sort of like, okay, well, I don't know what you have, but it's not going to kill you. (laughs) So, and that happens all the time with chest pain. Maybe you just had like acid reflux. (laughs) Right. So, so you really, you get trained to be really good at like what's going to kill a person and working your differential uh, so that you rule out the serious things, but you're not necessarily trained that if you had acid reflux, it's not going to kill you, but I don't really, it's not really as important, you know, go to, go to Mm. see somebody else. We'll work it up. We'll we'll do more tests, but, but do you know what I mean? It's, it's sort of like, um, 
I mean, I'm just saying what happens in the emergency room. Sometimes oh, yeah. we're, we're not as trained. I mean, because I see this a lot that, uh, you know, when people see regular, the regular doctor, it's sort of like, yeah, we ruled out, we scanned your belly, we scanned your chest, everything looks fine. I don't know what you have, but it's not serious. But then it's sort of yeah. like the why, uh, you know, we're we're not as trained in, in the sort of subclinical disease. We're waiting mm. for things to fit into a certain box before we say you have this condition. And and what I integrate with, I mean, in terms of my, my additional training is that I'm looking at things sort of below the radar. So, and I'm trying oh, okay. to co- connect and make sense of your symptoms as a pertains to all of you. So if you say, for example, you know, I moved from the East Coast to the West Coast, and all of a sudden, my allergies worse, and I have high blood pressure, I'm thinking, well, why would that happen when you move, <laughs> you know, from from the East Coast to the West Coast, maybe the yeah. allergies are causing inflammation, because there's different trees and pollens out here. And that's kicking up your blood pressure. So rather than mm-hmm. band-aiding your symptoms, by just giving you blood pressure medication, which is what your regular doctor would do. Someone like me is trying to figure out, well, is it allergies? And let's deal with the allergies because if I deal with that, then you probably won't need blood pressure medication. Am I getting Mm -hmm. too technical, too medical or? (laughs) For me, no, this is perfect. And I'm actually, I was deep in thought because I was like, well, I have terrible hay fever. Uh, I don't know, I got bags under my eyes right now. There's something going on. So uh, yeah, and and I'm feeling pretty congested. This is probably from inflammation. Well, can we talk about can we no? Can we actually talk about inflammation? And I'll, I'll steer this away from trying to just solicit medical advice for myself. Um, but but inflammation's role in the body. I, I would love to to better understand this because what what I've found to be interesting, especially with regards to some of the people that we've spoken to in the past, um, with respect to like you know a hard workout, say strength training, right? You're trying to get stronger. Like there's a there's a point where inflammation is actually a good thing, right? Um, but I imagine what you're referencing could be like prolonged inflammation. Yeah. And, and yeah. can we talk, can we just talk a little bit about that and maybe how it's, how, how it's detrimental? Cause I have to imagine this is something that a lot of people deal with, whether they realize it or not. And I would have to think a lot of that is due to like a lot of lifestyle choices they might be making and stop me if I'm getting any of this wrong. This is all just sheer assumption. Yeah, no, uh, <laughs> I mean, yes, of course, inflammation is, is in the appropriate setting is necessary. If you, if you uh, had a cold or if you had an infection, you know, the, the cells in your body, your immune system would recruit cells that would be going to the site of the infection to try to find fight it. And so as a mm-hmm. part of that, I mean, it, it would be expected for you to have inflammation in the body. And that usually hopefully is short lived and things will resolve and, and, you know, you go back to sort of... Uh, being okay. But the kind of inflammation that can become a problem and whatever the source is, whether it's a, um, and sometimes it's really difficult to find out what the source is because you can check inflammation in the blood easily, but figuring out where it's coming from is not always so easy. So maybe it's uh, chronic allergies, maybe it's sinusitis, maybe it's, uh, you know, a root canal that's low grade infected and nobody sort of suspects that. Or maybe mm-hmm. it's, um, you know, again, sort of there's there's lots of things that can cause, uh, you know, or it's how you're eating. But 
um, when you're talking about biomarkers, um, we talk about blood glucose, but looking for inflammatory markers are really important. Again, okay. uh, if you have chronic inflammation that's not going away, that is definitely going to increase risk of chronic diseases and definitely be a cardiovascular risk, which ultimately for all of us, uh, the, the leading two causes of death in the U.S. and I'm pretty sure globally is heart disease or cancer. And they're kind of mm. neck and neck. Mm. So, uh, you know, uh, it, it is it is something to to look at and keep an eye on. I like to check a, a lab called highly sensitive CRP which looks at inflammation in the body. And you'll see that, again, the normal labs will just say, you know, anything under three is okay, and anything above that can increase your risk of having heart disease down the road. But, again, uh, you know, I, I like that number to be below one so that you're really, really sort of like keeping things under check. So, yeah, short burst of inflammation and recovery uh, are fine, but chronic unaddressed inflammation, no. What, what, what are often uh, the causes of, of chronic inflammation? Uh, I mean, really it could, it could be, yeah, it could be anything. I mean, it could be some of the things I mentioned. It could be rheumatologic conditions. It could be cancer. I mean, if you ever have that lab be very elevated, I mean, if it's not an in, in an acute infection, like you have a cold, you would expect that number to be high, but, mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, uh, any kind of infection, you would expect it to go high and then come back down. <laughs> but if it stayed very elevated for a while, you should be looking at really looking to see where it's coming from. So some, uh, some people with a lot of joint issues and pain, um, it could have something to do with an autoimmune condition or, or a rheumatologic condition. So further testing would need to be done. Um, definitely if people have cancers and things of that sort, it'll be very elevated. So it just, you know, you kind of have to look for the, for the source. And like I said, sometimes I, I have people and it's really difficult to know where it's coming from. Hmm. So... On that but, note. but again, but again, sort of, uh, I hope we get to talk about fasting. <laughs> but, but, oh, yeah. Well, let, let's let's do that now, actually, because um, I, I would love, I, like I said, I read the book, uh, you know, that, that your counterpart, Dr. Longo wrote, uh, really enjoyed it. I'm going to link to it in the show notes um, for people who um, want to read or listen to it as well. Uh, but yeah, you know, that, 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 I think that was initially how I was kind of introduced to you and your team, right? I was really interested in learning more about longevity and, uh, you know, his, his approach to fasting, very interesting. And then my wife has actually done a fasting mimicking diet, which is how we all kind of got hooked up. Um, so yeah, I, I would love to talk about, you know, I guess maybe, you know, at a, at a high level, like what is a fast? Um, then you can you know, answer that however you want, but maybe the more important question is like for people listening, why, why should they consider fasting? Yeah. So fasting, uh, has been sort of, uh, I think in the media and news for the last few years, I think in 2019, it was the most, uh, Google searched word in terms was of different, really? different, yeah. And, oh, and wow. I, and I just, uh, you know, sort of being involved with the clinic, I think a lot of times, um, and based on your podcast, of course, as well, I think it's sort of the focus becomes just weight loss. And I think um, the power that it holds, and the the nitty gritty of, of 
why, how long. I mean, it's just sort of a longer, more complex conversation. Um, but fasting yeah. is essentially, um, you know, not consuming um, calories. Usually water is, is allowed in, in most fasts. I think, uh, again, sort of depending on, on what type of fasting, some intermittent fasting um, types do allow, they're called intermittent fasting, but allow a very small number of calories. So I'll just go through some of the common ones you may have heard of. Intermittent fasting. Yeah, and intermittent fasting, I feel like, is all the rage. Like that, that that is thrown around very commonly, uh, you know, like offer someone a snack at work, like no, I intermittent fast. I I can't have that till 1130. I think, I think, uh, I, I think there might be sometimes the words may be tossed around a little bit, uh, uh, kind of clump in different kinds of fasting together, but there's time restricted feeding and their intermittent fasting. So under the intermittent fasting, ah, okay. what what generally uh, the, the main things that are discussed are either alternate day fasting. So one day mm-hmm. you have no restrictions, you eat whatever you want. The next day you're fasting. So either you're totally just fasting uh, and not having any food or mm-hmm. a modification of that is that that alternate day you could have um, for women, it's 500 calories and for men, 600 so, but, but basically the big idea of alternate day fasting is one day you have no restriction and the other you're doing either a total fast or a modified fast. And then you kind of alternate. So every day you're, you're switching it up. Um, do people do that consistently or is that yeah, like over a yeah. so that they would do that over the course of a year? Yeah. Well, that's exactly why it's, it's sometimes not effective because it's really okay. hard to be compliant with that long-term. Yeah. Um, wow. so, so, uh, and then the other main type is the five, two. So five days out of the week, you're eating, you know, not restricted and two days, two non-consecutive days, you'd be mm. doing fasting. So maybe Monday and Thursday or, or whatever, two days you would be fasting. So those are commonly um, used when you're talking about intermittent fasting. Time-restricted feeding is talking about every day, or at least it has to be at least five days a week for it to be effective. You are okay. only you only have a certain feeding window, and that could be mm-hmm. you know very variable. It could be you probably maybe commonly have heard of a sixteen-eight where you're eating just between eight hours, but fasting sixteen hours. Uh, some people do 20 hours fast. Some people do 14 hour fast. So, so how long you're fasting each day, that could be variable. And yeah. probably you recall in the book, um, I think it's mentioned that 12 hours should be sort of a starting point. But again, mm-hmm. if you're generally healthy, your blood glucose and CRP and, you know, uh, you're generally fine. You don't have extra weight. That's fine. I think meeting a 12 hour, you know, basic goal is, is, is a good practice, but let's say you're overweight, you have, uh, your blood sugar is uh, higher than it should. You have prediabetes, you're high risk. Um, then you may want to increase that time that you are, you know, you, you'll want to increase that fasting time to meet your goals. And why, why is that? Well, because the longer fast will allow you to, to get better metabolic numbers. So it'll allow yeah. you to drive the, the glucose and the insulin down. So so the oh, longer okay. that you do that fast, you deplete the sugar in the bloodstream. And hmm. 
somewhere between, and everybody's different based on their day-to-day diet, based on, you know, their health and all of that. But somewhere between like around 12 hours, you'll start to switch from using glucose um, as fuel to breaking down fat. Mm. And so um, when you drive the blood sugar down, then you're using fats and breaking that down for fuel. So Got it. If, and if this you, might be a stupid question. That's a good thing, correct? <laughs> that's uh, well. That's a good thing if you're trying to improve your metabolic number. So if you're someone yeah. who's overweight, so when you when we're talking about like why should I do any of these fasts? Yeah. Any of the any of the ones that I mentioned, the time restricted feeding or the other ones that I mentioned, alternate day or the other, would be great choices for someone who's overweight has a lot of belly fat, which is the worst fat, increasing mm. inflammation. So people with, you probably, um, I assume, do body composition testing and, and you know, do those fancy, um, if, you know, tests that show exactly how much fat and how much muscle mass you have. But So, you know, it's funny. I don't. However, as, as part of our uh, New Year's resolutions, we, um, I don't know, my, my goal is around body fat percentage. And my uh, a friend of the show, Alex Harrison, is going to come on. We're going to talk about that in greater detail. But no, I really I haven't done a body fat test since college. Uh, so I actually was like, as I set this goal, I was like, what does a healthy body fat percentage even mean? Um, but to your point, I, I'd be interested to hear what, why is belly fat uh, the worst? It, it's been shown that visceral fat or the fat around our bellies is is actually uh, increases risk of inflammation more than people, let's say that have bigger hips and hold the fat in different parts of their body. So, so the belly fat is, uh, is a little bit riskier and you, and what I think a lot of people don't realize is some people look skinny on the outside, but they're actually like fat inside internally. So what, what those, uh, so we call them skinny fat people, Okay, because- <laughs> that's what I was going to say. Is that, so it's a medical term. I was about to use yeah. it, and I was like, you know what? That might be offensive, but nope, now we know. Actual term. Well, I don't know so that it's in medical journals, <laughs> but that's no, not you heard it here. You heard, you heard it here on this podcast, folks. So, so then it exists. <laughs> yeah, skinny fat people look skinny on the outside, but, you know, in fact, if you did, uh, you know, an evaluation, you would see they're actually, like, uh, fat on the inside. So oh, wow. that that's why those uh, that's why those uh, uh, body composition scales are give you much more information. And again, that's just a risk factor. So if that's the case, you really need to be mm. doing the uh, the lifestyle changes. We were on a different topic before we got on yeah. belly fat. No, no, no. no. I, I took you off it. Yeah, what, what oh, we were oh, talking fasting. about was. Yeah. And you, you'd taken us through, uh, first, you know, a lot of what people re- refer to as intermittent fasting is, is time restricted. Yeah. Uh, and what intermittent actually is, I think most people, if they knew that would, would not probably walk yeah. around saying that's it's, what they're doing. Intermittent is intermittent. Um, mm. you know, you're, you're alternating either every other day or, or a few days a week. So what yeah. I was saying is that, If you, let's say, if you do have belly fat or if you did have inflammation, if you did have high cholesterol, high blood sugar, or you just needed to lose weight, any of those, the intermittent fasting or time-restricted feeding would be great to help with that. Okay? Got it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, But now, you know, the the question is, why should you do a longer fast? So I think it kind of depends on your goals because- 
if mm. you have cancer, if you have autoimmunity, if you have, um, you know, in, in neurodegenerative diseases, Alzheimer's, uh, you know, any of these sort of more serious conditions, you're going to gain a lot more benefit from the more prolonged fast because what happens is initially the blood sugar drops, um, you start breaking down fat, the byproduct of that fat is production of ketones that that has uh, a lot of healing uh, benefits it's, uh, itself, but really sort of what you're doing at somewhere around 24 hours and it's not really we don't really know exactly when people kick into something called autophagy but yeah i want to ask you about that actually yeah we it's kind of hard to measure autophagy so the exact time is unclear but we think somewhere around 20 to 24 hours around there your body sees oh there's no nutrients coming in so it starts kind of autophagy is like eating itself so it kind of Mm. breaks down its own tissue for recycling so it's kind of like cleaning house a little bit and so what what usually is broken down are the unhealthy cells so if you have precancerous cells or or any damaged cells you really need to do these more prolonged fasts let's say you had muscle injury or joint injury or um cancer cells or you know again a a faulty immune system where you're attacking yourself which is sort of what is common in autoimmune disease rheumatoid arthritis any ms you really you're not going to get the benefits from alternate day intermittent fasting or or time restricted you really need Mm -hmm. to be doing the more prolonged fast and autophagy we think like i said it starts around 24 hours but it kind of kicks up um to its maximum, probably somewhere around three days uh, or so. So when when you want, um, and again, I I don't know what what athletes do in in terms of muscle injury and fasting, but uh, from my understanding, just like looking a little bit um, on the internet, some people are are using these fasts when they have injuries to really Mm. sort of like as a breakdown old damaged cells (laughs) and there's a rejuvenation that happens and again, a lot of the benefit uh, actually comes about not, not only during the fast, but then when you refeed as well. So, mm-hmm. so again, if you have um, any of those serious conditions, you have muscle injury, uh, you have bad genes, and you have terrible heart disease or cancer in the family, you, you should consider one of those longer fasts because you're really getting uh, a lot more benefit um, mm-hmm. from, from the prolonged, which you would not get with the intermittent fasting. So with this longer fasting, so if I'm understanding this correctly, it's like, okay, somewhere around 20, 24 hours, you know, it, at that point, like the glucose has kind of been like used depleting. up, flushed out, yeah. depleted. Okay, there it is. Um, and so then this, through this autophagy process, I sure hope I'm saying that right, right? It, it actually starts uh, attacking cells within your body and it, it tends to focus on the ones that are actually most harmful. Damage. 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 Okay. Yeah. Ah, yeah. damage. And then the damaged ones would be the ones that would be the most harmful. Yeah. So it's sort of getting rid of cleaning house a little bit. Cleaning house. So okay, somewhere between one, one to three days, you're getting the most of those benefits. And, mm-hmm. and again, really hard to kind of measure, but, um, but that we think that's, uh, you know, what's happening at that time. And the longer uh, that you fast, it's, it's probably uh, continuing to occur more. So, Again, it's sort of like which which fast you 
do or not do. I mean, it all depends on what your goals are. So, you Mm. know, uh, maybe if you, you know, twisted your ankle and, you know, you kind of wanted to, uh, you know, do boost the healing a little bit, you might sort of uh, do a longer fast because if you just did 12 or, you know, 16 hours, it certainly would not be getting into that deep healing. If you had, um, I actually was interested when we talked initially, I looked to see if there was any studies on um, uh, TBIs and fasting. And I only saw very limited in animals where they, where they tried to do 24 hour fasting. Um, And the animals, sorry, a a TBI being, Traumatic brain injury. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Okay. Yep. So concussions, uh, which don't necessarily need to be, you know, serious in a football accident where you're knocked out and unconscious, but Mm. uh, brain injury could be as simple as like a motor vehicle accident where you're having uh, so so much, uh, or even they say like a roller coaster. (laughs) Oh, God, sure. I've been on that roller coaster. But, but if you definitely, you know, uh, again, cause I know you played, you played football, right? Yep. In college. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I, I had, uh, I mean, definitely had concussions, uh, and I certainly worry about that a bit. And I, I definitely had at least one really bad one, the type where I could, I'd read a sentence. And by the time I started the second, forgot what the last one said, or couldn't yeah. watch TV cause the light was too bright. Uh, you know, which I mean, now I just, it's, it's almost, I shouldn't be embarrassed to say that, but it's scary. And at the time, I don't think we thought it was as scary as we now know. Um, but yeah, certainly. And I think, but to your point, right. A lot of people have sustained concussions, uh, in a number of different ways. Well, and as you probably know, I mean, in, in a lot of athletes, I mean, you know, you may be acutely have some symptoms or pass out and recover, you know, initially uh, and mm-hmm. feel fine. But uh, I think the data on that is there could be chronic sort of a brain inflammation that goes on for years after. And you kind of are not aware until you probably have another hit or an insult or, you know, so it increases your risk if you've had any of those sort of severe injuries where especially you were passed out or you had confusion or headache and you might have recovered. But that kind of that kind of primes the brain and, and kind of starts a process that could in some people, again, depending on what your health was like when this happened. I mean, if you yeah. were eating terrible food and you have the genetics and you have all the right, <laughs> you know, bad mix of uh, risk. Terrible cocktail it, of, yeah. Exactly. That, so again, maybe, I mean, I don't think there's any human studies, but maybe after a concussion, maybe, you know, people in animal studies, like I said, 24 hour fast. And I think they did water fast with, with the animals there did the brain tissue look better. So would you, but, and there's no human studies. I hope professor Longo does this soon. Um, and they're Mm. certainly interested in it, but Maybe after a concussion, you should be doing, a, you know, a round of FMD to really give yourself the best benefit to really drop the inflammation in the body and hope that the recovery um, uh, helps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, that's really interesting. Now, okay. So look, I, I haven't eaten in the last three hours uh, <laughs> and I am already starting to get hangry. So I'm very intimidated by a fast of five days. I'm very intimidated by a 24 hour fast. I think I could do it. I just don't know if my marriage would survive. So could, could you maybe talk about, cause this is something that I am very interested in though. Just so you know, yeah. my, my entire family does not want to be around me. 
I, I bet. <laughs> They're I, like, oh no. <laughs> I bet, they, yeah. Well, and and so can you talk a little bit about because okay, water fast is what I had always traditionally thought of when someone said they were going to do a fast. Uh, it was no food, just water, right? But this idea of a fast mimicking diet and something that you sustain over five days was really intriguing to me. Can you just explain it at a high level, kind of what that is, and, and particularly what is like that the mimicking component of that? Yeah. So, um, you know, initially, I mean, I, I think when when researchers were looking at the benefits of fasting, they did. I mean, it's obviously much easier to put animals on on water fast, but they, mm. they could see that they got great benefits. But it, introducing it with with patients and real people, I mean, compliance as you just said, I mean, it just, people have a really tough time doing water fast. Mm. And that, that I think had a lot to do with why the fasting mimicking diet was, was created. That was one factor because people just can't, I mean, I'm, I'm actually surprised to hear people do 10 days or a month of water fast. And I have certainly heard that, but, um, I mean, oh, and I tried me that. Anxiety. That just gave I me tried that myself. I, I really? thought, you know, I'll just uh, save a little bit of money here. <laughs> so yeah. I, I'm just going to do uh, try to do a water fast. I'll tell you, I've done fasting mimicking diet probably every three months or so oh, wow. for, okay. for a while for the last, I don't know, two, three years. Um, yeah. And other than a mild headache on day two to three, which is when you're kind of kicking into, you know, really breaking down the fat and using that for fuel, other than mild headache and a little fatigue, like, uh, you know, I haven't really been symptomatic otherwise, but with a water fast, I thought my heart was going to stop at like day, day two or three, I was having palpitations and it was just really like, I just physically didn't feel well. So yeah. we don't advise, I mean, for, I mean, people sort of do all sorts of things, but we don't really think it's safe to do that in a non-monitored setting. And it's certainly not something to be taken lightly. Um, so mm -hmm. we don't advise people do water fast. Um, but the fasting mimicking diet is was created again. It certainly helps with compliance and getting the benefits of a longer five day uh, type of a fast where you actually eat food. But the yeah. nutrients are are kind of balanced in a way and in a patented way. I can't tell you details, but but that right. it kind of it, it kind of goes below the radar and your body doesn't see it as calories, so it thinks it's fasting but you're okay. actually eating somewhere between, so the first day it's about 1,100 or 1,200 calories and the next four days it's about 800 calories. So you're actually mm. having a couple of soups and I, I know because you guys have done it, well, not you, but your wife has done it a couple of times. I watched, yeah, I've watched people do it twice now. But <laughs> but uh, you definitely, for you especially, can, if yeah. you were going to do it, you don't want to go from nothing to maybe fasting mimicking tomorrow. You would mm -hmm. gradually kind of get there. So maybe okay. I would say do the time restricted. Um, oh, okay. and, and, you know, at around 12 hours or so, and it really kind of peaks. One thing we didn't care about, but that may be of interest to you, growth yeah. hormone, uh, which is really important for muscle health, muscle building and recovery, starts really cranking up at, at 12 hours. And so it really, really kind of... After 12 hours of fasting? Yeah. So it starts oh. going up, but it really kind of... It, it, the longer the fast, it actually increases quite a bit. Um, mm. So it, 
I think it's something like 300% increase in like three day of fasting. So again, sort of for muscle health, um, growth and recovery, it, you see how you have to kind of do the longer fast. You're not going to get it from a, you know, uh, you know, shorter time restricted, but, um, yeah. You were going to ask me something. Well, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm always you're confused. <laughs> well, so th- it's funny, and maybe this is just my own perception of it. But one of the things that has prevented me from from trying a fast mimicking diet with my wife um, is, you know, I, I have some strength based goals that I'm shooting for. I'm, I'm hoping to um, listeners have heard about, it, but I'm hoping to officially break the pull up world record for uh, most pull ups in a minute with a hundred pound backpack. Right. So I keep telling her that I'm like. Yeah, I will try it, but just as soon as I check that box off, because I'm worried that if I did a fast like that, I would probably lose some of the muscle mass that I've built up, or I would come out of that feeling really weak and it would set me back. So, um, you know, one, I did not know that it increased human growth hormone, but I guess maybe a question for you is, are, are my assumptions correct or maybe ill-informed and actually it maybe wouldn't be as detrimental as I'm imagining it might be? Depends on how long. uh, Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know which type of fast you're talking about, but certainly with the the studies with the FMD, the fasting. Yeah, FMD. Yeah. uh, There was muscle preservation, and actually, because of what's happening with the growth hormone and other hormones, it's not only you you don't lose, but there might be actually there's a little bit of an improvement. So uh, so it's it, it was not expected, but. Uh, and I've done this now a bunch of times myself. So typically I will lose um, around five or six pounds. And I've done before and after uh, okay. body composition testing. Majority of that is is fat loss. And wow. so I've never seen any dip in muscle mass uh, loss. So it's not uh, – you, you certainly won't lose muscle mass Um in terms of weakness, I don't know. In terms of just like uh, just performance, I'm not sure what the what the FMD what that would be. But mm-hmm. I did uh, since I knew we were going to be talking. I did see. I think some people, uh, some athletes are doing a 20 who really care about sort of muscle building and all of that are doing 24 hour fast, then doing their workout and then having their protein right after breaking the fast with protein. Yeah. So I think for someone like yourself, maybe you'd want to kind of gradual. I don't, you know, I I think FMD is something to work up to. I'm not a candidate uh, for cold Turkey is what I'm hearing based on, uh, based on how hungry I've, I've based on my, uh, (laughs) um, as a physician consultation, I would not advise you if you were coming to me as a patient, I would say start with 12 hours and slowly increase that. Okay. Um, to 16, 18, 20. And if you got, if you were like, oh, this is cool, uh, I, I'd slowly in, increase it there and, and then kind of graduate up to, to join your wife to do the awesome. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Um, okay. Well, th- this has been, and, and let me, last question. Uh, and, and then, because I, I know you have to run because you're, you're out, you're out actually helping people. Uh, you're not just doing podcasts all day like myself. Um, so, the reason that a fast is beneficial for longevity, is this an oversimplification to say it's because of kind of that cleaning house process? It, it's it's helping keep at bay uh, some of these damaged cells that could lead to the types of illness or cancers that, that we've been kind of talking about the whole time? Is that, or maybe that's an oversimplification, but 
No, it's, I mean, it's pretty good, but it's also addressing the metabolic risk factors that mm. whether you're talking about heart disease or cancer play a huge role and, and actually in many conditions. So again, going back to heart disease, cancer, uh, you know, and then lower down on the list, diabetes and Alzheimer's and strokes will kill most of us. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so what is important in all of those conditions are things that we talked about earlier on the podcast with regards to when I say metabolic, I mean like blood sugar, cholesterol, inflammation, all of that. And so by periodically doing the fasting mimicking, yes, you're not only keeping those metabolic numbers in check. And again, I kind of didn't didn't have time to, uh, this is an important point in that, yes, you're either doing, imagine the difficulty of doing alternate day fast, just kind of, you know, you know, for months on end yeah, that'd be ver- tough. versus the studies that they did with the fasting mimicking diet, it's five days out of a month and people were going back to their diet, their regular diet, but hmm. their blood sugar, their blood pressure and their inflammation still remained low. Oh, so they were dropping about six millimeters in blood pressure, their, their inflammation drops so that it's obviously, if you're trying to do it for longevity and health, it's a lot easier to do five days once a month or, or every three months or quarterly. And how often you would do it is depends on how bad your risk factors are and how sick you are. Oh. So, so if you're pretty healthy, maybe twice a year would be sufficient. Okay. If you have cancer uh, in our cancer patients and, you know, beautiful studies showing that Doing the fasting with chemo actually really helps to make the chemo more effective and preserves the normal cells. Mm, so the cancer I was interested off. to read that. Yeah. Yeah. So we do. I mean, that's a lot of the patients that I see at the clinic are combining fasting um, with, oh, with chemo wow. and they, they have less GI problems, less fatigue. Uh, I mean, they just do a lot better. And the response from the chemo uh, is a lot better. And so they, they tolerate it uh, pretty well. So, so again, sort of um, uh, by doing five days out of the month or by five days every three months, you're keeping things at bay. I mean, I've had people with severe colitis on three different medication get off all their medications just for from doing the FMD, you know, every three to four months. And mm. it, it's kept their immune system and uh, in check. And again, uh, one of the other properties is that as we age, our immune system doesn't work as well. And so the FMD kind of by, um, by the caloric restriction, things kind of, uh, you know, we're in a starvation stress mode. And so there's kind of a dip, but in the immune function, but when you refeed and you start eating again, everything is sort of like the new healthy cells are replenished and rejuvenated. Mm. So, um, uh, so there's stem cell effects and uh, lots of other benefits. So yeah, it would keep things at bay. I mean, you, you, you summarized it fairly well, but I just wanted to emphasize that it's keeping the metabolic numbers in check, also getting rid of bad cells um, and uh, really doing a lot of repair and rejuvenation. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Well, I I feel like I could keep you on for another two hours, just peppering you with questions, (laughs) but alas, we cannot. Um, so I have to imagine, you know, like myself, I, I, you know, one, I'm interested for myself, but I remember two years ago, I had a loved one who had cancer, 
you know, I, I wished or thought that there must be some alternative approach. And I mean that in the best of ways. Um, you know, for, for people who want to know more about what you're doing, what you're doing with the foundation, like where, where can we direct them? Yeah, um, we, uh, so it's Create Cures Foundation. Uh, we just uh, opened uh, our clinic in Santa Monica, California. So if you uh, looked up uh, Create Cures Foundation out there, it's a little bit, uh, the clinic information you have to kind of uh, find in there. But Perfect. Um, I'll, I'll link to all of that uh, as yeah. well in the show notes for people listening. Yeah, and, uh, and we're seeing people all uh, across the U.S. and actually our dietitian um, uh, has the ability to work independently without the physician evaluation. But what I'm doing is sort of doing it, looking at, uh, at a lot of those biomarkers that we talk about, kind of going a layer deeper to yeah. assess risk, looking at genetic risk, looking at a lot of uh, more, kind of going a step deeper uh, to, to see what your risks are. And if people do have serious conditions like cancer, we want to make sure, I mean, you should not be kind of fasting without consulting your, your physician. And again, kind of what we were talking about is remember your regular primary care or conventional doctor probably not only didn't get any training in nutrition, but definitely no training in fasting. So if you say, if you talk to your oncologist and say, so what do you think I'm going to fast next time? Either it's a, I don't know what that's about, so don't do it, <laughs> or yeah. I don't know what it is, <laughs> you know, and, and that's when we're guiding people. So we're, we we work with um, the patient specialist and physician. So if they're getting some treatments or chemo or prescriptions, what we're doing is combining the nutrition and fasting in personalized ways that's appropriate for them. Not everyone should be fasting. Not everyone is safe to be fasting. So we, we apply it in a very targeted way that's appropriate for you. Hmm. Perfect. And then uh, for, for people who are interested in, in reaching out to you, is it is, is Create Cures working with primarily people who are uh, you know, undergoing uh, cancer treatments, or do you work with people who are, you know, part of just the general population and are healthy and want their biomarkers assessed and yeah. love nutritional Ever. guidance? Everyone. Yeah, uh, every everyone. So there are people who just want to come for preventative evaluation. They there's nothing wrong. There's people who you know, despite their doctor saying their labs are normal, don't feel well and have sort of a uh, they know that something's you know, still off. They have issues that you know they're losing hair, they're fatigued, they're brain foggy, and all the labs look fine. So yeah, we're we're um, Definitely nutrition and fasting is a big part of what we do, but also, I mean, as you probably could tell, the things that I'm interested in is mm-hmm. uh, I, I work with sort of chronic complex cases. I love seeing people with the gastrointestinal issues, autoimmunity, and we see a lot of cancer patients. We help guide them in terms of how to, how to do the longevity diet from day to day and yeah. how to apply fasting if it's appropriate for them. So, yeah. Oh, perfect. Well, awesome. I'm, I'm going to dig into it more myself because I'm, I'm very interested. And, you know, I think like a lot of things, uh, people just don't know where to start, right? Yeah. You know, they, they don't know. Okay. Well, if I even get a test, get my biomarkers looked at, like, where do I send it? Who helps me with this? Like, I, I can't make sense of it. Um, so I imagine there'll be a lot of folks who are probably interested in, in what you're doing. Uh, and yeah. I am correct in that you, you work, you can work with folks remotely too as well, right? Yes. Yes. Awesome. Tell, telemedicine. Right. Per, yeah, oh, I want everything. Oh, and we everything take and we take insurance, which is a uh, kind oh, of there we go unique. And we work as a team, so actually, uh, we have dietitians and 
scientists and biologists. So it's sort of a team effort. It's not just me on my own. So ah, perfect. Well, I, yeah, I've got uh, my healthcare minimums burning a hole in my pocket. So maybe <laughs> uh, you might be hearing from me again for different reasons. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. And uh, at some point, well, I, I know there's a lot that we didn't even get to, but uh, I think people are going to take a lot away from this one for sure. So thank you very much. I hope so. It was nice being on with you, Ken. Mommy. You better go ask mommy, daddy. <laughs> Let's try this again, shall we? Let's do it. Uh, so this one, it went a little bit of a different direction than I initially thought, but I yeah, absolutely sure. loved everything that we talked about. Totally. The other thing that I kept kind of like reminding myself as I was talking to her is so much of this is is stuff that we should know, but the general population just doesn't. Do you realize that we're being recorded as you yawn on? Oh, shit. Yeah, hi. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot. Ah, uh, darn it. I try to like lean back when I yawn so that I don't yawn into this. Because mm, you're a pro. But then I forgot that I was being filmed and that was like a weird way to yawn. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so if you want to see how Sonia yawns when on the mic, go over to YouTube, folks. Nobody look at me. Don't look at me. <laughs> But no, like a lot of this stuff, we were just saying prior to this, like nutrition. Mm -hmm. We have this podcast. We've talked to a lot of uh, incredible experts. We're very well aware and we seek this stuff out mm -hmm. that what you eat has a big impact on your mental and physical state. Yeah. Right. And I've, I guess maybe I do forget that like that, that might not necessarily be common knowledge or common knowledge, like the extent that it impacts just like all these processes that are going on in the body. Mm -hmm. it, Which was, it should be intuitive. Like you should just realize that because right? you don't, if you have, if you have like a sports car, you're not putting in regular mm, fuel. Yeah. Putting in the high test or whatever it's called. Yeah. What is, what is, that? I don't know. I don't use it. So. <laughs> yeah, we, oh, we don't use it. We're driving uh, a quality though, midsize SUV. Yep. <laughs> well, you know, that's where we're at. Uh, but she even said like, look, the fact that you even recognize that is, is you're probably in a lot better place than most. And she even went as far as to say like some of her, um, I don't know, what's, what's the word counterparts in the field still, still drinking Coke, still drinking Coke. They're not paying enough attention to their nutrition. Yeah, that's so, one thing. Like I, our kids, they've tasted soda. Yeah. Like once because my, my parents gave it to them. But like, I haven't had soda in years. Yeah, we don't keep it in the house. Just the thought of drinking soda just is gross to me now. Yeah, but it's like growing up, I had no problem with it. Also oh, growing yeah, up totally. as, a ki as a kid, like your body can handle anything. <laughs> yeah. Right. Should it though? But yeah, that's the question. Should it? Uh, but no, like now when I have a soda, like I don't even enjoy it. Mm -hmm. It's just like oh, too sugary like and syrup. processed and yeah, which is so funny. Uh, just kind of how your perception changes over time. But I felt like this conversation was really important because um, it was a good introduction to some really important topics and not an important topic if you're like an athlete, like it certainly applies, but these are topics that are like so relevant if you're a person who wants to live like a long, healthy life. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, you know, the first, the first topic and the reason I initially really reached out was, was around this concept of, you know, longevity. How do we improve it? How do we live longer, healthier lives? Mm -hmm. And uh, my favorite quote, and I don't know who to quote it to, but she said it. So she gets, she gets the credit here. She said that genetics load the gun, but environment pulls the trigger. Mm -hmm. 
which I was just like, oh, baby, that one's <laughs> a good one. That one's got social media written all over it. <laughs> but what I liked about that and why it's my first takeaway is what it means to me is like you do have the ability to some extent to control the outcome, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's regard to how long you live uh, and more importantly, I love that she used the word health span. Like, you know, wh- what does your quality of life look like over that time? Because mm-hmm. it's one thing to live to 100 it's another for those last 30 years. You got to be all like medicated. <laughs> just and, be, yeah, yeah. A bleak existence. Totally. Uh, and I love this idea. We didn't get to talk about it too much, but it is mentioned in that book. Um, you know, the idea of like dying healthy. Mm-hmm. So living a long full life. And like when you do eventually pass, like you were still generally pretty healthy, living an <laughs> active life. Yeah. Um, so I, I thought that was great and encouraging. Maybe encouraging is the word mm-hmm. to me to think that we have some control. Um, and actually I'm going to, I'm going to switch gears here to a, what was going to be our third takeaway, but in the interest of having control, how interesting was it when she kind of enlightened us to the fact that, uh, your average doctor, even your average, very accomplished, incredibly educated, distressing. Yeah. Hasn't had any training on nutrition. Yeah, I wonder, because she did say she went to school 20 years ago. Right. There has to be more now. I meant to look that up or ask some of our doctor friends. Yeah. But there has to be more focus on nutrition now. Nutrition now. You would, you would think. You would think. You would hope. However, I do I remember do, talking to a good friend of ours who is, you know, a doctor trained at some of the best medical schools in the country saying uh, we didn't do a whole lot of it. Ugh, crazy. Yeah. Now, here, here's the takeaway. But she did say, like, there's... Like you can't really, like if you give people advice on how to eat better and that'll save them a lot of medical issues, then what are you billing? <laughs> she didn't say that, but like. No, but Sonia's, Sonia's uh, <laughs> reading between the lines. And if you're a doctor out there, Sonia's calling your bluff. You know, though, like it's like uh, yeah. a lot of these conditions are, I don't, partly caused at least yeah. by how you eat and your lifestyle. That's very true. Yeah. Not everything, obviously, but a lot of things can be like, a lot of things are caused by eating poorly and living poorly. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, and I I think the way I understand it too is, you know, there certainly could be some of that. I tend to be more optimistic in the sense that I believe most people are doing the best that they can and genuinely want to help you. Are there bad actors? Yes. So when it comes to like doctors specializing, like there's a need to specialize because like what they have to learn is so involved. It takes years of practice. Yeah. And so I think you get this unintended consequence of, I love, I love the saying, you know, to, to a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you've spent years of training, becoming an oncologist, like your level of knowledge is so deep in that field. You know, it's like the the amount of time and and effort it would take above and beyond what you're already being asked to do to go out and say like, hey, you know, I wasn't required to know about nutrition, but how do I go out and become a master in this as well so I can understand how everything's interconnected? So Mm -hmm. I I think it's almost just um, an an unintended like shortcoming Mm -hmm. of like the amount of knowledge and specificity that these doctors have to have when they practice. Yeah. I also just think, you know, some of this stuff is kind of new. Yeah. Yeah. Which again is crazy. Like, it's so interesting to me. Just something as basic as like good nutrition is something that is constantly uh, being argued over. Mm-hmm. Uh, the The recommendations are constantly changing. At least that's what it feels like if you just follow the news and general pop culture. And there's so much just like bad information out there. Yeah, but I was thinking like 
you have like, I mean, you have a great job, but hmm. it's not like you're saving lives and you have to do trainings all the time. Like they should be trained on all this new stuff. Yeah. Maybe I am saving lives. There's no way to be sure. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, you're right. And I think that there's probably a lot of doctors who do. Yeah. And so that's why I was really uh, glad that she defined what like integrative medicine is mm -hmm. because I've heard that. Yeah. I was like, oh, great. I don't know what that means. <laughs> what are you integrating? Like what, what is being integrated? So it was really helpful to understand the context, at least with her practice. Um, it's like, look, it's this really, you know, a, a traditional medical background paired with interest in nutrition and other kind of like holistic life factors and trying to understand you as an individual as a whole, like what might be going on that's causing some of this stuff. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. It makes me want to explore that a bit more. Yeah. I'm excited for you to actually try the fast. Are you okay? Let me think through this. Are you excited to see how I respond to it. <laughs> Are you excited to see Partly. the suffering? Like, am I going no, to No, I don't to want do to see it? you suffering. I'm just excited to see if like you can do it. I have no doubt in my mind I can do it. Like <laughs> I, I have a very high threshold for like suffering. Like, yeah, yeah if, but like you have a very low threshold for being hungry. Right. But I know I can do it. Okay. The, my concern is not, can I do it? Like if I got to live in isolation for five days by myself, like no question I could do it. Mm -hmm. My question is, am I still able to interact with the people who are important to me in my life yeah. <laughs> over the course of those five days and not just being a complete miserable asshole? Yeah. We're going to quarantine you from, from us. <sighs> okay. <laughs> I do want to try it though. And actually, this is one of your takeaways. Um, maybe we, maybe we move into the last takeaway and there's a lot here, but just the many benefits of fasting beyond weight loss. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I like I got turned on to Prolon by a friend and my number one goal was like I came for the weight loss, yeah. but I stayed or Ooh. I'm staying yep. for all the longevity <laughs> benefits, which is like I, I thought it was like you're like age better, but there's so many other ways they're using it. That like, was really cool to hear. Yeah. Like the, especially with like chemo patients. Yeah. That was surprising to me. Mm hmm that it's helpful oh. to do with chemo. Same. Well, but it's also like when you're doing chemo, their snacks are cookies and apples, apple juice. Yeah. That doesn't make sense. There's a lot of stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot of stuff. I'm trying to think of a good example. I mean, food's an easy one, but yeah, when you go to like a doctor's office, there's lollipops, there's lollipops. <laughs> like sugar, there. sugar yeah. I mean, you know, that's whatever. That's a nice, cute thing for the kids. I totally get it. But yeah, I have them at my, OB though too. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, hey, people like lollipops. I, well, I guess I'm always bringing the kid or before COVID. Yeah. I was always bringing the kids. So, um, but yeah, I agree. So I, I thought, uh, and we got to fortunately wrap this one up, but I, I thought that was really interesting. I, I love that it's preventative mm -hmm. in, um, the fact that, uh, you know, we talked a little bit and I hope I don't butcher it, but through this process of autophagy, it actually recycles the damaged cells mm -hmm. that ultimately could end up expressing themselves you know, as a cancer or as some other form of disease. But what yeah, was, that really, was really cool. And I think you mentioned this before we started talking, the fact that it, it depletes that metabolic surplus as well. Mm -hmm. So if you do have a ton of glucose that's, that's in your system um, or some of the other things she mentioned, like by going on a fast effectively, like that stuff eventually gets used up or flushed. Yeah. And so it, like it, it can help like deplete those levels. And I think she even said, keep it lower. Yeah. Following the fast, which was pretty cool. Really cool. Um, like well, even like for the five days or after the five days they're low, 
but the whole rest of the month they stay low. Yeah. If you do it like consecutive months, yeah, you have to do it consistently. Like if you're genetically predisposed to have whatever, like diabetes or mm-hmm. something like that, you're less likely to get it now. Yeah. If you just keep doing the fast. I know. So I am interested. I, I had kind of written it off. I was like, I don't know if that's, if I'm going to try that, but I was like, well, yeah, and, and look, I wasn't even going to do it again next month. Cause I lost too, like, or you thought I lost too much weight this mm. past month when I did it. Yeah. But now I'm like, I'm, I want to keep doing it for I the long term. Cause they suggest doing it three months in a row. And then after that twice a year. Yeah. Twice a year seems much more. Twice, yeah. And like, the first three months will be miserable. Well, no, and, I mean, to... you know, anyone uh, who has watched a loved one go through any of these terrible illnesses or just like, you know, cancer or, you know, we were just talking about Alzheimer's mm-hmm. or, you know, I, I think there's a lot more data that will probably come out, but it sounds like based on the initial, not initial, but the research that's been done today, it's showing that fasting can help prevent or, you know, hold off some of these things. So it's kind of like, you know, why wouldn't mm-hmm. you? Yeah. In addition to the benefits that are known, um, if you're a person that like fasting is okay to do, it's like, yeah, you know, why wouldn't you? So that, that's, that's how I feel. I, I thought it was a great conversation. Totally. Yeah. Well, I said totally a lot this time. Totes my goats. Harper, our daughter's been watching a lot of Barbie movies. <sighs> and a lot of high school musical. <laughs> Maybe that's where I'm getting it from. Although I have to say senior year is probably my favorite. <laughs> I wasn't a big fan when they went to work at the golf course. Yeah. Um, Okay. Well, there, folks, you got a little bit of everything. Fasting, high school musical. Um, well, perfect. Well, everyone, thank you for listening. Uh, and also, I will give a, a plug. If you have any guests or topics that you're interested in, please shoot me a note. Uh, I really do try and track these folks down, and some of our best conversations have come from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have a couple conversations that are coming up in the next few weeks that are a byproduct of those exact recommendations. Very exciting. Very exciting. Uh, all right, folks. Well, as always, thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye.